Today, I'm gonna learn something really cool. I'm gonna learn the strategies to get someone to like me. There's definitely a technique to likability, so it's something that everybody should be aware of. Our guest is an expert in this. His name is Dr. Jack Schaefer. He's written many books, including the one we'll be referencing today called The Like Switch. He was a former FBI special agent and was a behavioral analyst for National Security Behavioral Analysis Program. We're truly lucky to have him on. And I guess the first thing I want to know from Dr. Schaefer is, how did you become an expert in likability? officer in Hinsdale, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, I had to meet a lot of people, a lot of criminals, a lot of witnesses, a lot of victims, and I began to notice that the more you get that person to like you, the easier it is for them to talk to you. And then when I became an FBI agent, it, it, was, it, uh, it was important for you to get the person you're talking to to like you. If it's a victim or a witness, if they like you, they're more likely to tell you everything and feel comfortable. It especially works well if you're a suspect. And I, if I can get the suspect to like me, he's more likely to tell me the truth and confess, even though what he says could put him in jail for a very long time. It's it comes down to this. People want to talk to people they like. People will confess to people they like. So it's, it was very important for me to establish rapport with suspects before I talk to them in order for them to feel comfortable Tell me the, the secrets that will put them in jail for the rest of their life. I think it's common sense that people would be more willing to trust someone they like. I researched how cops use this to their advantage. It turns out, prior to an interrogation, cops use an initial interview as an attempt to develop rapport. Using casual conversation, a detective may claim to share similar interests or beliefs. When the suspect starts talking about harmless things, the detective is actually observing communication and body language which forms a baseline to compare deception when the discussion turns to crime later on. One particular subconscious lie indicator are the movements of your eyes. When you remember something, your eyes move up and to the right. This is just an outward manifestation of your brain's memory center. When you look up and to the left, this reflects the activation of the cognitive center of your brain, which indicates a lie is being formed. For the last seven years of my FBI career, I've been as a behavioral analyst. and. What we did as behavioral analysts is we typically had a subject or suspect that we want, were targeting for either interviewing or to recruit them to spy for us. What we would do is assess that person's behavior, analyze their behavior, find what makes them tick, and then take advantage of the uh, weaknesses or vulnerabilities they may have. We have to spend a lot of time building rapport to find out what makes that person tick or motivates them. A lot of times it's money. People want money. And so they'll say, sell secrets in order to obtain money in exchange for the secrets. 
a lot of times people don't get enough recognition at work and they want more recognition and, and out of uh, revenge, they will sell the documents to make themselves feel, make themselves feel better. And our job in, in that case was to make that person feel very important. We've all seen the crime interrogation scenes in the movies. So I wanted to know if there was validity to their method, and I found a psychological tactic taught to law enforcement called the Reed Technique. The Reed Technique was first developed in the 1940s, and it relies on three concepts that are intended to lead the suspect to believe that confessing to a crime is in their best interest. The first thing they do is isolation. They isolate the suspect from friends and family. The purpose is to make them feel alone. That's why interrogation rooms have no windows. Number two is maximization. The officer starts out by stating the suspect is guilty and they have evidence, which can be a complete lie. The goal is to make it clear that they know the suspect is guilty. Number three is minimization. The officer explains that since they have irrefutable evidence that the suspect has no chance of being cleared on this crime, it would be in your best interest to just admit guilt because if you cooperate, then you can get a reduced sentence or a lesser charge. Psychological research shows that this is the reason for many false confessions, which is why you should always keep your mouth shut and ask for a lawyer. interesting is the same things that we use to recruit or uh, talk to recruit spies or talk to suspects they're the same things we do when we talk to normal people and we want to develop relationships with normal people either in a dating situation or friendship friendship situation and it begins with the nonverbals and the nonverbals there's the top three nonverbals and they're called friend signals when we approach people, we send off friend signals. And the person we're approaching in turn would send off uh, friend signals to let us know that we're not a threat. So we let them know we're not a threat to them. They let us know that they're not a threat to us. And one of the signals is a kind of a long distance signal and that's called the eyebrow flash. The eyebrow flash lasts about 1 64th of a second. It's a quick up and down movement of the eyebrows. So when we approach one another, we eyebrow flash each other to let each other know that we're not a threat to one another. The second thing is the head tilt. So we want to tilt our head to the right or to the left slightly. And that what that does is it exposes your carotid artery. And that's a very important artery that controls your, your basically your life. If you cut it, you're going to be dead within minutes. Right. So what we do is we tilt our head and exposing our carotid artery, we're letting that person know, hey, I'm not a danger because I'm exposing a very vulnerable part of my body. And one of the things that you can do to test this is if you have a dog and you come home and the first thing your dog does is sit there and tilt his head and the dog is letting you know that I'm not a threat. The third one is the smile because when, when we smile, we release endorphins and endorphins make us feel good about ourselves. So when we smile at somebody, we feel good about ourselves. And then we get that reciprocal smile 
that person that smiles back at us also gets an endorphin shot. And that makes them feel good about themselves. So what we're doing is predisposing people to like us before we actually open our mouths. The other thing what guys generally do is they'll shut their chin out. And that's the same signal is I'm not a threat. And a lot of people, once I tell them about the eyebrow flash, they go out and they see it. And they, they come back and tell me, my gosh, I can't believe I eyebrow flashed many, many people today. And I saw the eyebrow flash coming back at me. So it's one of those things that we can, we can do when we first meet people. And one of the areas that it, it works is, say you have a, a item you want to return to a store. When you approach the clerk behind the desk there at the return desk, the first thing you want to do as you approach is to eyebrow flash, to let that person know I'm not a threat. So if you can get that person to feel comfortable with you, they're more likely to assist you in your exchange. Body language is interesting because we all are aware of it, but really our subconscious is what pays attention to it. I found interesting facts about the neck in particular. What we do with our neck can be really telling. When men are uncomfortable, you'll notice they often rub the back of their neck. For women, they'll cover the front of their neck. If you're unconfident in a situation or you're shy, you'll notice your shoulders lift covering your neck. And the opposite is true as well. The more comfortable you are, the more of your neck you'll expose. Your neck will straighten, and just like Dr. Schaefer mentioned, your head will tilt. Use the golden rule of friendship. And the golden rule of friendship says, if you want people to like you, you make them feel good about themselves. And if people feel good about themselves, they're going to want to see you again and be with you again. So how do we do this? You're going to ask the next question. And the first thing we can do is you want to keep the focus on the person you're talking to. One way we can do this very effectively is through empathic statements. Empathic statements are nothing more than reflecting back how that person feels, their physical status or their emotional status using parallel language. So in other words, you're just reflecting back what that person says, feels, or uh, feels emotionally. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I teach at Western Illinois University. I get onto a uh, elevator and I see a student that's smiling and looks happy. And I say, so you must be having a good day because when you're smiling and happy, you're probably having a good day. So all I'm doing is reflecting back what that person told me. And what they'll typically say is, yeah, I just passed the test I studied hard for. So then to reflect back as an, as an empathic statement, you say, so the hard work paid off. And they go, yes, it did because I did this. And so all you're doing is keeping the focus on that other person. Okay, There's right. a construct for that, and that is so you. 
And the reason you want to start out with so you is because that keeps the focus on the other person and it gets you in the habit of keeping them first and you second. So when you get good at empathic statements, you can drop the so you and that forms a more uh, sophisticated empathic statement. And the interesting thing about empathic statements is that the person you're giving an empathic statement to doesn't realize that you're giving them an empathic statement because each of us thinks the world revolves around us. And if you and if you truly make it about the other person, they're not going to notice that anything's different because they're going to say finally somebody realizes. So, you know, you typically when, when I meet somebody and, and they're a suspect, I'll say after I do an eyebrow flash, a head tilt, a smile, then I would typically say, "So I bet you you didn't wake up this morning. You you didn't wake up this morning thinking you'd be arrested today. That's exactly what they're thinking, right? And so all I'm doing is reflecting that, and I'll say, "Well, yeah, I didn't think I'd be arrested today. So today's kind of a rough day for you. Yes, it is." Reflecting is a process developed by psychotherapists to show they have an empathetic understanding. By restating a person's feelings back to them, it shows they are seeing the world as they perceive it. And by doing so, this establishes trust. There's different ways we can establish rapport. One of the ways is called mirroring. So what we instruct agents to do is when you speak with the suspect, witness, or victim, you want to mirror the body language that person is displaying. When you mirror that body language, it lets that person know that you're in good rapport. Because when we are in good rapport with people, we tend to mirror them. So a good example of this, if you're with a group of people and you want to know if there's good rapport, You'll notice that you're all standing there. If you have your arms crossed, everybody in your group will have their arms crossed because we tend to mirror each other if we like each other. So we intentionally go in and mirror. And then to find out if there's rapport, it's something called lead and follow. So I'm going to change my uh, nonverbal display, say I uncross my hands. And then if there's good rapport, then everybody in the group will uncross their hands. Here's why mirroring works. Humans have the natural tendency to automatically mirror the behavior of others. This is called the chameleon effect. It's also been demonstrated that when you're being imitated, it gives you positive feelings. Results show that when people are imitated, they get a higher level of effective connectivity in the area of their brain which is responsible for reward processing. So when someone mirrors you, you literally think you're being rewarded. It crosses all humans because this has been going on. Humans have been humans and we've, we've done the same things for a long time. So it crosses generations, it crosses cultures. So it's one of those things that we're fortunate to be able to use these techniques even cross-culturally. The other thing we can do to test rapport is, uh, example, when I'm at work talking to a suspect, I always give them uh, a soda or a cup of coffee, 
And what I do is I want to watch where they place that cup. If I give them a, a soda and they take a sip and they place that can in front of themselves between me and them, that forms a barrier, which means rapport has not been built because we tend to remove things between the people we like when we're talking to them. And so then I, that tells me that there's uh, some work for me to do on rapport. And then when I continue rapport building, they'll take a sip and they'll put that Coke can to the right of them or to the left, removing that barrier. Then I know that rapport has been built. Wow, that's so, use, so interesting. You can, use, you can use that in social situations because when you see couples or when you are at dinner with somebody you like in a restaurant, what's the first thing we do? Remo- we remove everything that's between us and the person we like. Right. And we put it along the side. That's the same thing, building barriers. So if, if somebody is having a, a drink with you and you watch their cup, you'll be able to tell when you've established rapport. Well, I was saying the other thing about eating and drinking is that 70% of all information is exchanged over food or drink. So when we eat or drink something, we're predisposed to talk to people. So if you have a first date or you want to get to know somebody for the first time, it's best to take them somewhere where you can eat and drink. I found out that not only eating with a person will help get them to like you, but eating the same food as that person has a psychological impact on how much they like you as well. A study done at the University of Chicago showed that eating the same food as a person is an easy, effective way to build instant rapport. A series of experiments were held to find out whether similar food consumption can enhance a sense of closeness and build trust between adults. Multiple outcomes where strangers were tasked with negotiating showed participants who had eaten similar foods reached an agreement twice as quickly as the groups that ate different types of foods. A study was also done with advertisements. They found participants trusted information from advertisers when the people giving the product testimonials ate the same type of food as them. The researchers that conducted this study say food is powerful because it is something that we put into our bodies and we need to trust it. So if you eat the same food as us, it's easier for us to trust you as well. Another reason that we do it is reciprocity. If we give somebody something, there's a a predisposition for them to return uh, something back to us. So if we give them a coffee, they feel that they need to reciprocate in some way to give us something back. And of course, what we're looking for is information. The law of reciprocity has been present throughout human history and is ingrained in all cultures. Basically, it says that when someone does something nice for you, you'll have an urge to do something nice back. After all, most of us learn it's bad to be considered a freeloader. The rule is so strong that we can be vulnerable to having this used against us. This is exactly why we can be seduced by free samples to purchase something that we didn't really want to begin with. Humans have naturally used nonverbal signals, friend and false signals, for, for millennia. And if they work, or if I can get someone 
to be become a traitor to their country you know i can get a complaint solved at target the same principles are there because you know that what you got to look at the the person at the complaint desk or the return desk faces angry people all the time and they people think if i'm angry they'll they'll exchange the gift this isn't true we if somebody likes you they will bend over backwards to accommodate you so the first thing i would do is get the person behind the desk to like me you should you should not be angry back in fact you should use the empathic statement ah you're a little upset today you you let people vent and then you direct them on a course of action you want them to take i felt i learned a lot there i hope you learned a lot too thank you dr schaefer for coming on go get his book the like switch And now I'm going to find something new to learn.